Things from the 80s, dude. <laughs> that is great. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, and everybody else, welcome to Black Hoodie Alchemy. I am your host, as always, Anthony Tyler, and I am here with the Kingpin himself, the godfather of Fringe FM radio, Mr. Joe Roop. How you doing today, bud? No one no one's ever called me the godfather before. I don't even know what to say to that. I just I feel like I want to scratch the bottom of my chin and be like, yeah, I'm okay. You, know. you come here to Black Hoodie Alchemy on the day of my daughter's wedding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, no, Joe is, he is kind of the, the original, you know, this is all his brainchild for those that don't know. So he's not the shady godfather. He is, he's kind of um, the, this is his flagship, you know, and I've known Joe for, it's been at least a couple of years now, right? Like minimum, maybe yeah. a little longer. And yeah, um, I've always I'll give Joe a little little bit of an introduction here. The in terms of why I like Joe so much, he's like a brother from another mother. And um, I've always appreciated his. We have similar approaches. Joe gets into really high-minded, philosophical, magical, esoteric philosophies, and he goes the whole nine yards. But he keeps things very practical as well. Um, Joe's a very no-nonsense individual, and those are my favorite kind of individuals. But he still has some fun sometimes, too. Um, Definitely. Yeah, yeah. So Joe, um, and he also um, host of Lighting the Void here on the Fringe FM, um, one of the premier shows. So if you haven't checked that out before, you can go check that out. And um, you can even see some of the guest spots I've done on there. And if it wasn't for Joe, I wouldn't be doing a podcast right now. Um, I probably would be eventually, but Joe has been um, a, very much a positive influence on me. So I, I appreciate that. And uh, Joe, if you wanted to, before we dive into some material, um, tell the listeners about yourself a little bit. Um, man, I, I hate talking about myself, though, really, but I'll, I'll do it. Oh, just briefly. Uh, you don't have to. Talk no, no, to no. Me. I'm, I'm with you. Like, uh, <laughs> so, so I've been doing this uh, radio thing since, like, honestly, since like 2016, and the magic, and uh, I would say the magic and astral travel stuff since like 2014, 2013, and then uh, it's just been a weird ride, dude. I never intended for this thing to blow up the way it did, or to have to go on the journeys that. I've been on or any of that stuff, but things kind of work out that way when you start playing with stuff, you know, like that. Absolutely. Um, and it really ties into sort of the themes that I've had going throughout these episodes so far. So I wanted to pick your brain, um, among other things, um, about some of, uh, some of your experiences, but first, uh, just for funsies, um, I forgot, um, it's been fairly recently that, our little American Stonehenge, uh, the Georgia Guidestones, um, have been demolished. So mm. um, I wanted to just bring that up briefly and give my condolences to, <laughs> I don't know, the Georgia Guidestones, I guess. Because, I mean, hey, they, they were kind of iffy uh, in terms of their material. But I, as, as I said to other people, I, the, they were just such a beautifully weird 
piece of mysterious esoterica in the modern era. And now they're not here anymore. And I don't know, on some level, I think I always kind of thought in the back of my head that I'd be able to go see them. So I have family in Georgia. I'm kind of ashamed that I didn't go see them already. But now I can't, you know, they're gone. So, so rest in peace. Why did they, I wish they wouldn't have took them all down just because one dude blew up a piece of it. You know? I know, maybe take all the rubble of, I don't know. I don't, I don't know the, the, the structural physics of it. Maybe they couldn't. Because I hear they had to demolish it for safety reasons, but you probably didn't have to take all of it down. Leave like one slab at least, but yeah it's gone now it's like it reminds me of when they took uh during covid the beginning of covid i believe it was or right around there the uh the alaskan government they used um they kind of did in the background while everyone was focused on everything else they snuck in and they took the chris mccandless bus out of the woods and uh put it into the salvage and for anyone that doesn't know that's uh the the bus that uh mccandless uh died in and was the inspiration for the nonfiction books and movie into the wild and uh, me growing up in Alaska. That was a, that was a thing for me. I always thought that I would go see that bus eventually and now it's gone. So yeah. Rest in peace. Well, I wanted to see the, you know, Georgia Godstones too, but I guarantee you some conspiracy, satanic panicked redneck blew them up, you know, certainly. So yeah. yeah, it's unfortunate. I mean, so what do you think about the Godstones in the long run? I think the, so the fascination of them was partly the ambiguity of it all. Like, because it would, it kind of said like, I don't even have them in front of me. I could pull them up, uh, the tenants, but it was stuff that was, it was like it, the rules for humanity or yeah, something. And, and yeah. And they weren't inherently negative. In fact, they were positive, but they seemed to convey like ominous undertones. And that was something that no one could ever, really make up their minds about collectively was was this positive or not i don't know i don't i don't really think it was particularly um here they are maintain humanity under was that 500 million in perpetual balance with nature guide which that's the one that i think that's the one thing that scared everybody uh yeah that's that's the linchpin there yeah yeah i mean and guide reproduction wisely things like that you know like you know, uh, yeah. population control. Right. Three, unite humanity with a living new language. Four, rule, pa- yeah, rule passion, faith, tradition, and all things with tempered reason. Protect people and nations with fair laws and just courts. Let all nations rule internally, resolving external disputes in a world court. Uh, avoid petty laws and useless officials. Balance personal rights with social duties. Prize truth, beauty, love seeking harmony with the infinite, uh, be not a cancer on the earth, leave room for nature, leave room for nature. And I uh, did not keep up with my numbering there, but those are the 10, um, the 10 Georgia Guidestone commandments, uh, if you will. And yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't think there's anything, uh, nothing really, uh, you could squabble maybe about some of the semantics of some of those, but it just sounds very libertarian, if anything. <laughs> um, <laughs> So, yeah, but I don't it know. Sounds I, like Bill Gates mixed in with libertarians, you know. It yeah, like. it does. It, it, I mean, I, I don't think anyone can really sugarcoat the fact that it does have um, a, a rein, in, rein in humanity sort of mentality, and that can get questionable. It gets eugenics y. 
So I don't know. I mean, I don't think at this point you can really rein in the population of humanity. Um, I was talking with Alex of the Natural Born Alchemist, and he was saying that it's just talking about the natural order. Um, and yeah, I guess, but uh, there's no way to get back to that natural order what, uh, well, unless there's a massive extinction event. Nature has a way of dealing with things. Like if you look at, you know, uh, animals or certain uh, natural habitats, when things get overpopulated, disease gets bigger and it, and it kind of does its job. Uh, the earth has a way of doing that anyways. Like, so when we get overpopulated, the same things happen. I think it could be somebody that kind of understood maybe natural law and maybe, maybe, but at the same time, you and I could put rules on a stone that sounded awesome and someone could sensationalize it and think that it, it came from space or, or something, you know? Yeah, I've heard, and it's been a little while since I've looked into the research of it. So this is just hearsay for me at this point, but, um, I've I've heard before like the most common theories are that this guy they people have been able to look into some of the backstory because he was around um, the the designer and the developer but he was very because he had to build it in person but he was very mysterious and no one really knew all the details about him and then he disappeared and people think it might be Rosicrucian and or Masonic and I think there were some actual there was at least some potential evidence for that but. Um, yeah, I mean, either way, it's clearly some sort of eclectic dude. Um, I mean, it was a, it, it was a guy. And it, it, yeah, and there's no way that this person was actually involved with any Illuminati. Um, as yeah. far as I'm concerned, yeah, this seems like more of um, um, some sort of statement piece. And someone knew how to pitch it. You know, the whole, the mystique behind not only the, uh, the the structures, but the developer and designer. That's part of the whole allure. And that's why it's a great story. So, well, the 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 thing that makes me think it was kind of a cultish is, you know, that they uh, the measurements of it, right? Uh, which is uh, they they carved out holes, I believe. Yeah. And I don't know what, what the, exact, the exact measurements were, but they carved out holes where you could see the North Star through it. Also, the solstices and equinoxes and stuff like that. So, Oh, yeah. This dude know, was definitely very esoteric-minded. Yeah. Yeah. And that's something like they did in Egypt, too. You know, things mm -hmm. like that. So, Well, let's get into this a little more. Um, uh, using the Guidestones as a segue here. Joe, I want to talk about um, some of your experiences with mysticism and magic because you are someone that um, expounding upon your ideas helps expound upon mine. And um, because we're very similar and, you know, I, I, I think it shows a somewhat healthy, um, I don't know, just the, you, you have, you have a balance, man. And I appreciate that. I don't see uh, people, I, I don't see this demographic in general represented very well. And I don't know if it's because, I don't know, it's probably just because of book sales and, and lecture sales, <laughs> right. honestly. But yeah. this, uh, I, and I hate to put a name on it, but it's just sort of a, uh, a working class mysticism. You know, none of us are walking around in robes on the daily and we're not trying to convert people to uh, the religion of us. We're not even 
talking about this in our daily, you know, we're not proselytizing. We do, we do writing, we do podcasts and radio, but outside of our daily life, we, we're not going to be, when you and me, for example, don't bring it up all the time, not unless we're asked. And uh, yeah. there's a separation. We enjoy living a normal life and yeah. in the mysticism and all the high minded stuff helps us live more practical, healthy, normal lives. I mean, normal in quotations, because what is normal, but we, you know, we, uh, we've both gone through our, our serious rough patches and I don't know, we're, we're doing pretty well. You know, you and I are healthy. We're kicking it. Um, we're living our so lives. Far. Yeah. I mean, God willing, we continue. And, uh, uh, but the point being there's, there's a lot of people that are, are out there just like us, but the things that are the most sensational and draw the most attention are the, uh, the like very devout, new age hippie that will bring this up, you know, set the no, no disrespect to anybody. Cause I mean, there's, there's outliers. I'm just giving specific um, uh, stereotypes for fun here, but yeah, there's, there's some, all kinds now. Yeah. All like, kinds, yeah. yeah, there's whether you get the, the, the teal swan new age hipster to the, the Jordan Peterson acolyte um, and everyone in between on all sides of the spectrum, you get people who are just uh, um, using similar principles and lingo, but they're taking it to extremes. And I hate to lump Jordan Peterson in with Teal Swan because I have a little bit more respect for Peterson. I, I appreciate his, um, his, his union psychoanalysis, but his politics start to get crazy. And I don't think that you should be eating only red meat. Jordan Peterson's a wacky guy, but at least he's not actually <laughs> yes. making a cult. Thing. Yeah, you know, some yeah. people are going to get on their political high horse and say whatever he has some sort of meta cult or whatever but it's it's not a cult it's it's much different you could say that it is political ideology involved but hey joe did you see the teal swan documentary uh, no but i will say this about peterson yeah. like you have to respect the guy no matter how wacky things are that will stand up and say exactly what he believes right like yeah. in the face of everything and everyone knowing that people are going to disagree with him knowing that he might be called an asshole right like yeah in my and, opinion we need more of that even if we don't agree with each other you know oh yeah um and i mean just look at uh if if you want to compare the two for a second just look at how peterson handles debates he goes into many debates head on all the time and all you got to do is look at that Teal Swan documentary to know how she handles debates. And it's, it's very different. And that's telling of an individual in general. You don't have to agree with them, but if they're willing to kind of stick their neck out yeah, for what they believe in and it, admit when they're wrong, which Peterson's done many times, um, then, you know, I think that it, that person, I, yeah, I think that's worthy of a little bit of respect, at least, you know, a little tip of the hat. Um, yeah, these guys and see th these. I've seen this on a smaller level too with certain like podcasters and people. Like you get these ideas. Some people do. They get these ideas that they're there to to teach people things. And so if they ever like look like they're wrong or whatever, then you know they're just going to keep rerouting words until it makes them look right. You know. And uh, oh yeah, I don't really get that from Peterson. Right, but uh, absolutely, I, I th that's a great I point. Think, I think what he does is is he'll he'll agree with some of the stuff you say, but he'll always have a but or maybe, but then he'll say, "But my point is this," 
and he'll and you'll even hear him say i could be wrong but this is how i feel about something versus where other people are trying to be like this they just kind of reroute words till they like sound like this existential genius or something you know absolutely and you're like what okay (laughs) yeah there's no way i can talk to this person right yeah yeah um man i think um jordan peterson is another example of um I don't know. You could argue different ways because I'm not trying to make this a whole uh, discussion Jordan about Peterson him. Episode. But, uh, yeah, but you could argue different ways about how he got there. And there's a little bit of negligence involved with maybe dabbling in topics that weren't his expertise. But um, he he attracted a crowd that's certainly not all bad, but is has attracted sort of that. Um, it almost bleeds into that sort of. Um, Elliot Roger Columbine shooting crowd. You know what I mean? Elliot Roger being the the kid who ran over a bunch of people in the car because he was tired of not getting laid. Um, this sort of <laughs> incel crowd. Um, and I don't think that that's Peterson's fault at all. Because um, I don't think, because he's very much um, um, of you are creating the vast majority of your own problems. He's the exact opposite of that. But I think um, I think that you do see in terms of um, the internet culture, uh, you see some of those people lurking too close to um, to Peterson. I think that in uh, in terms of his fandom, that gives him a bad rap. But um, anyway, so <laughs> did this guy? I never heard about this this guy. Not this point, but did he really like run people over because he wasn't getting laid? Oh was yeah, he, was yeah. he just like mad at women or something? Yeah, it was this whole thing um, that happened some years ago, not too long ago. He was the son of a big Hollywood producer. I believe he had produced multiple transformer movies. So he was in the Michael Bay crew and um, he had like Elliot Roger, his son was just the ultimate privileged uh, 15 year old high schooler. And he even got some sort of, I can't remember what car it was, but it was very, very fancy. It was top of the line sports car for like his 15th, 16th birthday. And he was making YouTube videos about how he was the, the perfect gentleman and how any woman was should like basically bow to him and how, uh, Oh yeah, that'll help. Yeah. That'll yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Just full YouTube rants about how, um, women were becoming worthless in his eyes because they didn't see his value and, and on and on. And it eventually got to the point where he took that brand new sports car and just ran over a bunch of people before, um, he was, I don't even remember how it ended. I mean, he was definitely prosecuted and all that, but he might've died before I, he might be dead now. I wasn't planning on talking about the story. So I don't have the notes, <laughs> but it's a, it's a really, um, uh, it's, messed up. it's a dark, uh, interesting true crime story for people who want to get in the minds of, a of, a of a sick high schooler and understand it is, this definitely sheds light a little bit on some of the neurosis and psychopathy that's going on in the internet culture today. Um, because I believe you could still go see some of those videos that he had. Uh, well, so, yeah, that's. Well, see, this is the thing. I think that I think this stuff is messed up, messed us up so much. Like when you're a, when you're a, you know, a young one in a high schooler and all this other stuff, you got so much testosterone and crap inside you that that needs to come out. We all have felt that kind of frustration. Like if you're a guy and you're hearing what I'm saying, then you felt that kind of angst or frustration because nature gave it to you. So you would, you know, like procreate, but what you don't do, like you have to learn how to deal with it, channel it, play sports, do something. You're right. Like 
don't get angry and kill people, man. Like, yeah, God damn. It's stupid. That's, I've never, I guess I need to look into that, man. You got all these like interesting, weird, crazy, like story stuff. I don't know. I don't even know about like, I'm not a zeitgeist person. That's what I've realized about myself is like, I don't, I'm always missing out on the cool stories because I'm never like paying attention to the zeitgeist, you know, ever. Yeah. Well, there's pros and cons to that. Um, and, and I think, um, it is easy to get bogged down in the zeitgeist, you know, but, um, so I try to keep a healthy distance because it's, there's only, you know, I used to get a lot deeper into politics and stuff. And I think at a certain point, it's weird to just, yeah, you, you need to keep up to date a little bit on at, at least a little bit on what's going on in the world around you. But on the other end, it gets to a certain point eventually where I feel like it's all just a dangling carrot, you know, yeah. and it's just, a, oh, yeah. it's just, well, this is the next talking point And this is the next talking point. And here's, we don't want you to have enough time to think about that talking point. So here's another one 24 hours later. And, and then, and too many people, I think, are just satisfied with that. We're just running from one carrot to the next, never really actually getting a meal. And, but um, true crime has always been a fascination of mine. And if anything, I'll always be up to date a little bit on that. Because uh, I've been thinking about this lately, just the idea that, you know, yeah, is it unhealthy sometimes to maybe get too involved with some true crime like is, is is should that be your only uh entertainment sustenance um it definitely not and um there should always if if you don't have respect for the victims and a distaste for the perpetrators then you're getting into some murky territory but i think there's something telling about the fact that there's a new rise in true crime fascination because it seems like a survival mechanism you know people adapting and being shocked that such evil, um, whether you think it's metaphysical or not, could be amongst us and just, yeah. you know, because um, I, I think people are used to by now, unfortunately, but they're used to the reality uh, that things like a genocide can happen. They, they're, they're prepared a little more for big scale things, but I think it shocked people more, especially with the internet age and um, just getting There's a lot of creepy people out there, man. Yeah. I mean, that's something yeah, that we got to individual level. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like there's something that we got to realize that just, just because you're cool or you think that people in general should be good. It doesn't mean that that's the case. There's a lot of, uh, you know, I get that way sometimes too, because I think I feel and think a certain way. And then I have, I think everybody's kind of that way. But the truth is, is everybody's got their own emotions, their own, elemental makeup their own psychology and that alone you know there, there's people out there man I, i'm wondering if there's people walking around that don't even have souls to be honest with you sometimes i think about that you know what do you think they are instead like what does that make them then well i mean so there's more than one person mystic and magician alike that have, has talked about humans walking the earth that they call elementals right or like that they're not they don't have souls like we do for some reason. They come here with this just elemental kind of energy. And I'm thinking, yeah, that sounds kind of wackadoo, right? But the thing is, is every mystic that I respect and every occultist that I respect has mentioned this, you know, it makes me think about God and everything else. Like, why would you even allow, if that's true, then why would you even allow like 
crazy bastards to be on the earth to begin with, right? Is it just a balancing force or what? You know, like, who knows, man? But I, I, the more I read about it, the more I started thinking, yeah, I know a couple of people that would just, just these people that would do things that you'd be like, what the hell are you thinking, man? Like, you, you don't have a conscious, you don't have a, you, you don't have a, a soul, right? It's, we call them like narcissists and sociopaths, but a true narcissist is pretty freaking scary, man. Like, a lot of people have narcissistic traits, you know, but a true narcissist is, is a scary thing. Same thing scary. as a sociopath, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of people are a little selfish, but a true sociopath is something entirely different, right? Like, and these people are like, well, walking around the earth. <laughs> if you think about it, it starts freaking you out a little bit, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, I've, I've had the thought before, and it makes you wonder. And this is fascinating uh, philosophical terrain because it's very it's very immediate, you know, and, and, and once you get there, you, you really feel like you have to either just set it aside or flesh it out fully because there's no middle ground. Um, and I've never truly made up my mind on that because, um, on some level, you know, that can easily get you into eugenics, right. Um, on the practical level, but I get what you're saying because especially when you think of, uh, psychopaths and, and full level narcissists, it makes you wonder, what's really going on in there because they don't have it's not a two-way street it, it it the natural human adaptation process has given us this sort of two-way street for us to understand each other um yeah. no matter how crude it might be on a case-by-case -case basis but there's certain people out there that do not have that two-way street psychologically and it's one of those things where like they've done studies to show that if you like theoretically um, if you were to like a child at birth, if you were to constantly cover their eyes, um, I think at it would take some years. I think at like the seventh year though, um, um, maybe even sooner, your eyes would not work. Your body would just, it would have never used them. So your body would say, okay, we don't need any of this. We're going to redirect our, our, um, our neural activity mm. in these things. And, uh, so I think it's the same way with psychological things in many cases. And I think, uh, you know, genetics on top of environmental factors, if you haven't um, exercised empathy well enough, then you might get to the point potentially where you have never experienced empathy and you never will. And there's no rehabilitation. And so yeah, like, part of me just wants those people to die. And that, you know what I mean? Like, here's it, especially if that's violent. The, yeah. You, yeah. The fear part of me, right this is like back in the day when people would hang witches and stuff right but to me you know that the only part of me is like that person's can hurt somebody is going like to me in my mind there's a guarantee that person's gonna hurt somebody you know and not I mean, a good way a matter of time yeah you know and it's like they need to either need to be dead or they need to be put on their own island somewhere and locked up you know but um i know that sounds bad but right you know like people that don't have empathy or sympathy or compassion like the second i get around them i don't want to be around them anymore you know and i get it man i mean you have to be innocent until proven guilty but sure when, yeah you can't just judge it you know yeah but i mean when it gets to a point where i do think that i believe in rehabilitation but i do think that there are certain 
scenario, certain people that are beyond rehabilitation. And, and at that point, once someone's convicted and violently beyond rehabilitation, I think that those are the only cases where I, I still think that a death penalty is warranted. Um, but yeah, so, okay. So we've, um, we've talked about <laughs> stuff here. Um, you know yeah. what, Joe, um, maybe do you, do you have time? Do you have to like leave at a certain time? No, I got, I still got like an hour or so. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, cause I want to talk to you about some magic, but we've done such a good buildup into, um, some material that I've been working on. Maybe let's just go into this. So I've got a few, um, schizophrenic serial killers that I'm going to tell you about. Oh shit. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Um, okay. And, um, this uh, isn't my forte though. I don't know much about all this stuff. So, that's okay, man. Because, know. because this is, um, I chose these specifically because they're very esoteric. These, okay. th- these three people, um, had, um, specific visions that they were going to kill for God. Um, oh, and God. that God was telling them to. So, um, a little bit of, um, um, a, a cliffhanger. We're going to go into the break real quick. And uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about some of these crazy people. Uh, this is Black Hoodie Alchemy. I'm Anthony Tyler. We're here with Joe Roop. Stay with us. We'll be right back. For this new sensation, the rapture of destruction, for the pleasure of the phoenix, the unbound it exhibits power and brings with it. Plague to fire shower with its sin driven. It's too late for taking back what it's been given. As the shadow scours and wings pivot. Living things just cower and think timid. Under its eye, an hour of its infinite. It devours within minutes. Covers the sun's rays, hovering untamed. Flaming rubble troubles your guns aim and hunts brave. Souls more for soldiers and funds graves. Does none save the guts planes? Feather smothered the runways with his harsh crow. It overcomes the sky as dark as midnight. One traitor like a blade to starship in flight. The double headed phoenix that makes the past happen and predicts. The future gets its last laugh with brass policies that institute ya. It takes the instant route to evil, raise the cliff to shoot ya. We gotta realize we're getting farther, Mr. Sutra. Cause yo, this creature doesn't die with slugs. The eye that hovers in the skies above has a hovers over yeah, complacent yeah. crowds. Subtract the numbers, cover the sacred ground. It cracked the sky in half and decays the clouds. Makes a sound. With the crack of thunder, it came to crown. Rain it down. It attacks the slumber, flood in the ancient town. It's the foul, it's the fiend. It's the shit the nightmares are made of. It's quite clear, but like fair, it tastes so blood. Listen, as we explore the mysteries of the universe, the unknown, high strangeness, consciousness, and our human potential, Lighting the Void is an eclectic program that strives to ignite the late night with stimulating conversations. Join us on The Fringe FM. Musicians experience a lot of frustration with music marketing and promotion. They have no idea how to get their music heard, and they're spending hours sending emails, making phone calls, and hitting up their friends to promote them. With our industry-powered digital marketing platform, we can set up your media plan in minutes. Our team will automatically distribute your music across all the best channels, so you can focus on actually making the music. Submit your music today on our website at mymusicpromoter.com. That's mymusicpromoter.com. Thousands of people are having paranormal experiences with ghosts, demons, shadow people, dogmen, Bigfoot, and more. Their stories need to be told, and they are being told. Dark Waters, the renowned storyteller. 
invites you to join at imdarkwaters.com. For just a few dollars a month, you can listen to some of the most hair-raising and compelling stories on the planet. You'll have access to real-life stories told by Dark Waters, thousands of hours of content. Their encounters are being told and told by the best at imdarkwaters.com. Listen to stories like The Rabbit Man, The Dog Man Encounter in Silas, Alabama, The Man with No Face, The Other Woman, A Day Ahead of the Devil, Dog Man Murder in Hurricane Ida, even a story of someone trying to kill a dogman. Louisiana Water Demon Stories. Sign up today and become a member at imdarkwaters.com. That's imdarkwaters.com. Welcome back, folks, to Black Hoodie Alchemy. I'm your host, Anthony Tyler. I'm still here with Joe Roop, and we're going to get into some crazy, crazy shit here. Um, I chose these stories because... I've never heard anything like these stories ever. Um, I've heard some pretty crazy true crime stories and these are so genuinely all due respect to the victims. Um, and there's going to be no humor involved with anything to do. And I'm not even going to go into um, the specifics of the victims. This is going to be more of a character study of these individuals. Um, but the reason I say all that is because this is... Uh, this is some funny, funny shit here. These people are so far out of their minds. And, you know, I think some people might draw a line, but uh, for me, I don't see anything wrong with making fun of these individuals, um, especially after what they've done. Um, and it's not even like I'm going to ham it up or anything. It's just simply telling the stories is insane. So, so firstly, uh, we have Joseph Callinger. Now, he was a, uh, a schizophrenic shoemaker in Philadelphia in the 70s, 80s. Um, I wasn't planning on doing this uh, today, so I don't have some of the specific details pulled up in front of me. But we're just going to go with it because I know everything I want to talk about here. Um, and Callinger was an orphan. Now, and he was, um, he was adopted by a family that didn't treat him like a son. They just raised him as an apprentice shoemaker. So he became very good at making shoes and uh, very dysfunctional, <laughs> to say the least. And um, he started becoming schizophrenic um, more so around his teenage years. And as he got to a full adult, um, he was not well. Um, he was actively schizophrenic. And um, he had managed to stuff it down in time to have a wife and um, a few children but somewhere around this time and a successful shoemaking business in Philadelphia. He, he did, uh, he made shoes for very wealthy people. And at some point he started having visions, um, a schizophrenic visions of, of God, of Yahweh himself coming down and speaking to him and telling him to design the perfect shoe to, um, to, uh, to save mankind to save all humanity uh, through their orthopedic stress. And um, so at first, uh, Joseph started doing some really interesting experiments. I'm going to read to you, Joe, um, uh, an interview that was conducted on him uh, from prison about some of his orthopedic experiments. Um, and um, I'm just going to go between the interviewer and him. And the interviewer is just the questioner. Um, Joseph, in what way did you take this experiment seriously? Well, I'd already done over 40,000 experiments, most of them on myself, some on my wife and kids. And uh, he's talking about shoe experiments, so it's not malicious yet. 
Um, and this story actually isn't really malicious. Um, I'd even talked to the mailman into letting me put wedges in his shoes. So I did a few on him, but I'd never done experiments on animals before. Uh, what were you going to do with them? I was going to make little shoes uh, for their feet. These are hamsters, by the way. I was going to make little shoes for their feet and little wedges to put into the shoes. I figured I'd get a lot of information that way. I wanted to do an experiment on the connection between a hamster's feet and their brains. Now, if they listened to me and did what I told them, I would have known that the wedges and the little shoes that I made for them were doing them good by giving them greater durability and intelligence. They'd be obedient to me, their master. When I got home, um, I saw there was no way I could make shoes and wedges for hamsters. <laughs> their feet were too What tiny. in the hell, bro? <laughs> I'm sorry. Like, this is crazy, man. This is the nuttiest thing I've ever heard in my life. Dude. I know, I know. It gets, uh, it gets nuttier. Uh, but I knew with the second part of the experiment, the connection between obedience and intelligence, even without the shoes, um, I could do this. To make sure I didn't get the hamsters mixed up, they all looked alike, you know. Um, I put name tags on each of them. Um, then I, <laughs> <laughs> uh, he named them Winkle, Popsicle, Jelly Roll, and Humpty Dumpty. Um, and then I put them into a large cage with a small wheel in it. I knew the best way to test their intelligence and durability was on the wheel. If they had intelligence, then they would listen to me. If they had durability, they'd listen and survive. To obey is the one test of intelligence. To survive is another, right? Right? Um, Joseph, how in the world did you expect the hamsters to listen when they didn't speak any human language? I spoke to them in English like I'm talking to you. I pulled up a chair right next to the cage and I sat down. I told the hamsters everything I was going to do and it was very important to the future of mankind, I said, that they obey me. I told them their feet were too small for me to make shoes and wedges, but I promised to make them little hats and suits even though I'm not a tailor if they listened to me and survived. Uh, I'm telling you they understood every word I said. What did the hamsters answer you? Nothing. That was the second disappointment. Uh, first, I found I couldn't make wedges for their feet. Then I couldn't get them interested in my experiment. They didn't even perk up their ears when I told them about the little hats and suits. But I knew they understood me all right, and they played foxy to throw me off guard. They didn't listen. They didn't seem to want to get it. Uh, they just ignored me. And, um, and so none of those uh, hamster experiments worked, and even, but, but Yahweh persisted. Yahweh was like the... the the answers to all of humanity's suffering is orthopedics. And some, at, at a certain point, Joseph uh, gets his children to dig a hole in, uh, in, the, in the basement, like a large hole where he goes to shit and think and contemplate how he's going to save mankind. He just shits in this hole. So this guy is like becoming severe. See, this is what I'm talking about, man. This, is, this dude is not human. Right? Yeah. Yeah. There's a case to be made because what is going on in this brain? I have no idea. But this man is um, convinced that at a certain point, I, you could probably dig into the story and maybe find some traces, but there's just a switch that's flipped more because he starts getting, and certain, you know, of course, not all schizophrenics are like this. The vast majority are, 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 are much more sane even than this man, but this man had a very specific, intense kind. And at a certain point, it gets violent. And that's just sort of the genetics of it. Um, you know, in certain cases, that's what it leads to. So I think that it was just a continuation effect. And uh, Callinger starts recruiting his children who are like 10 and 12 and 14 at the most. Um, 
to go on like vandalism sprees with him throughout Philadelphia. He just makes his own crew of Hellraisers. And then he eventually recruits his oldest to go and um, I, I guess the orthopedics thing isn't working anymore. And so he goes and just starts kidnapping and torturing people in Philadelphia. He ended, they ended up killing three people and torturing many more. Um, and there was a case where I, I think it was the one that got him caught eventually. Maybe not, though, um, where he goes into someone's house and I shit you not. Um, he goes into their house and abducts them. He doesn't take them out of the house, though. He leaves them tied up in there. He does all this before a dinner party is about to happen. And so he literally, as guests are coming, one group at a time has to abduct more people, tie them up, throw them somewhere in the house. And there's just waves of people coming. And him and his son are just taking people at random. And, um, and then they end up doing weird uh, things to people. Sometimes they stab them, but they, they don't kill all of them. And they just, at a certain point, they, 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 they just do so much that it all comes crumbling down. And you can see, and, you know, he, of course, the guy went to prison and everything. But uh, you could see interviews with him where he's, uh, the, it, there's one with Geraldo Rivera, actually. Of course, there's one with Geraldo where um, uh, Geraldo asks him, um, do you still have these violent visions? And he just says, yeah, I definitely. And like, do you think you would ever kill again? And he said, yeah. And Geraldo says, do you think you would kill me? And he's like, absolutely. Yeah. And like, and, uh, and he says, uh, man, I hope you never get out of prison. You're a very scary man. And, and Callinger is like, yeah, I hope I never do either. So Joe, what do what you think? Hell? Is there, is there anything going on in there? Is that a human being at that point? No. No, no, that's, that's, that's not a human being. That could be, that could be, uh, stated as a case of possession, even almost like, yeah. um, that's not a human being that has empathy or compassion or anything like that. And intelligence, our brains are really, um, amazing things. We could come off, we could come off as empathetic and compassionate or whatever, just because we're you know, maybe we have a little charisma or something and we can fool people. But other than that, no, I don't even like to see, this is where I don't even believe in our society's rules. They're like, Oh, well, let's, let's lock them up or they plead insanity or whatever. Like I don't have sympathy for people like that. I, that to me, in my mind, that person should just be dead. It should not exist. You know? Well, um, and I'm uh, just devil's advocate here. What about the fact that these people are suffering from a mental illness? You know, there's probably some sharks out there that suffer from mental illnesses too, but once they start biting humans, you got to lay them down. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that, that is something I would definitely agree with. Um, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't, yeah. I don't see the, because, uh, because it's not like you're making this point for all criminals. You're saying no, these no, no, no. people. Yeah, just people yeah. that are just like that don't have empathy that he's sitting there telling you, yeah, I'll kill somebody again. Yeah, he's admitting like, that he has no empathy at all. Yeah, like why are you wasting your money on this guy? Why are you wasting your tax money and anything? And it's not even about money. My point is, is like why are you wasting any energy on a guy like this that could hurt somebody at any point in time? Right, like. Unless they're doing some kind of scientific study, that's the only reason why I think that you could keep them alive. That's it. Yeah, and I there is probably that 
for science uh, is probably at least sometimes a bigger reason that um, some people keep them alive more than others, I would think, because uh, they definitely do study a lot of these people. Um, and in terms of true crime history, I got another one for you. Um, this one was killing at the exact same time as Ed Kemper. Do you know that name, Joe? Uh, no, I okay. don't. I'm sorry. That is okay, man. Uh, but for anyone that is a fa- um, fascinated with true crime, Ed Kemper is one of the most notorious. And he was killing, he's the co-ed killer. He was killing in Santa Cruz in the 70s. And um, it's a lesser known fact that there was another killer named Herbert Mullen that was killing at the exact same time as Kemper and actually muddled up police investigation uh, because they didn't know that they were looking for two people. So um, they had a weird energetic tandem going on and um um uh, herbert mullen was a kid who kind of drifted from one thing to the next he was really into yoga and then he was really into boxing um and at some point in his teenage years started experimenting with lsd and cannabis which i advocate for unless you have uh, schizophrenia in your family, you might want to tread lightly there and you don't want to do it too soon either way. And so um, he was developing schizophrenic symptoms more and getting more and more. Uh, the The drugs were, um, you know, creating more and more of an issue there. And he became really erratic, but he never did anything too violent until a certain point where he ended up getting off the drugs um, and he was convinced that the drugs had made him worse, which, uh, yeah, is a is a safe bet. But what he didn't, unfortunately, he was just too far gone at that point. Like, it, it's interesting that he had some wherewithal to diagnose himself and stop the drugs. But um, he, the damage was already done. And he, at some point, started uh, having the similar calls that Joseph Callinger had where different people, including his own father's voice in his head, but also God himself, Yahweh uh, was telling him that since the Vietnam war had ended. um, So what the Vietnam war had done was serve as a sacrifice for Yahweh uh, 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 to, to slay his bloodlust and keep the human race alive without um, an apocalyptic, like, earthquake happening i think it was an earthquake in specific but it was just like an armageddon um and so god had come down to herbert mullen and told him that he had to take place of he single-handedly had to take the place of all the the bloodshed of the vietnam war uh to keep armageddon from happening so um he he goes about doing that and he starts taking people out one by one, thinking that he's saving the world each time. And he has these visions. Um, he thinks, he genuinely thinks, because this man is very schizophrenic, that um, he is getting telepathic consent from these people before he murders them. Um, and he, at, <clears throat> yeah, and at, at one point, he even starts to doubt that maybe what he's doing is a little too much. And so he goes to a priest and confesses to the priest a little bit or starts getting into it. Uh, but it doesn't get that far because he starts thinking that in the, the, the pauses that the priest has, that the priest is telepathically consenting to him. So Herbert goes over there and stabs him up. So 
yeah, things are not looking good. And he, he starts having all these different ideas. Like there's like electromagnetic frequencies that are, you know, maybe triggering his brain. And, um, let me read you a little bit here. Um, I remember, I remember reading this, um, on Murderpedia, um, a few days ago, and I'm just going to read this to you directly, Joe, straight from Murderpedia. Um, so he goes through some murder, you know, he's murdering people at camping in tents. Um, he's murdering teenage boys, just hanging out after night. He's murdering, um, uh, co-eds and, so here we go. The rest of the story was a dizzying display of uh, bizarre behavior by Mullen throughout his time in jail um, after, uh, during the subsequent trial. Um, and uh, it was evident during the police inter- uh, interrogation immediately after his arrest, when he responded to investigators questions by screaming out silence um, that things were getting worse from there. The clean cut killer claimed that he had stopped a disastrous earthquake from striking California when he killed his victims, thus saving countless lives. He also stated that voices, including his father's had ordered him to kill and that he had telepathically gained their permission. Like I was saying, um, his lawyer told the court of Mullen's strange ideas, such as his theory that his family had conspired to hide his bisexuality from him as a child. Um, etc. Um, Mullen even took the stand in his own defense and preached in the courtroom that there was a grand conspiracy to keep him from becoming too powerful in his next life. One of his popular reincarnation theories. Oh my God. Uh, also because Einstein died on his birthday, Mullen claimed he was therefore the designated leader of the generation. Um, as for the killings themselves, they were conv- uh, consented to by the victims uh, quote, every homo sapien communicates telepathically. It's just not accepted socially, he said. Um, somehow the jury muddled through this circus and madness and found Mullen sane and guilty of 10 murders. Um, and he was sentenced to life in prison where he actually spent some time um, in the cell right next to Ed Kemper. And they got to know each other a little bit. So that's also weird. But um, yeah, so... They found him criminally sane. I mean, obviously, this man is not in, uh, not sane in the the typical uh, definition. But in terms of what he did, did he know that what he was doing was wrong, uh, and did he try to hide his crimes? Yes, and that's what makes you criminally sane. So, what do you think of that one, Joe? <laughs> Dude, it's the first podcast I've ever been on where I just sit back and listen to the host talk about like serial killers. <laughs> Um, like, I don't know, honestly, dude, this is all crazy to me. Right. Like, I think people, I think these people should just die. I mean, I don't have sympathy. I don't like, it's just weird to me. Right. Like I'm not saying like, this is the only simple part of me, I guess. Like I don't delve into the darkness with people that hurt others. Right. Like I just don't. And I feel like, I know I sound like my dad, but I feel like these people should just be strung up to be honest with you, like once, once they hurt people like that, they're, and they're saying that God told them to do it. And this is another thing too. This is like, all these people have this in common that it's this megalomania thing that where they're the next Christ or the next, whatever, you know, and it's the idea is totally opposite from actual spirituality where you have to start looking at everybody as, divine you know not just yourself like you're going to be more powerful and more whatever 
and then you're killing and hurting people. It's just crazy, man. And I would say, like, the people that delve into any occult stuff, dude, you, you have to watch out for, you never know, man. Like, you have to watch out for what you're letting into your mind. We, we, we don't have control over our minds as much as we think we do, especially our unconscious. And the point is, is to try. And these people are gone before they can even get started. I, like I said, I don't even think they're human. I really don't. Yeah, on, but that's that's the thing is, I mean, clearly on a biological level they are, but psychologically they are so far removed from anything yeah, like human. Soulless, right? Like, I yeah. don't. There's yeah, it's a it's a tough, it's a it's a really meaty intellectual debate that I don't know the answer to, but it's it's serious food for thought, like. If there's any person that's truly soulless out there, it is certainly these kinds of people. Um, and so I'm going to tell you about one more, Joe. Um, this right. one, <laughs> this last one is Richard Chase, the vampire of Sacramento. Now, Richard did not think that he was uh, talking to God. Um, he, his is uh, similar to these people, to the other two, but in the just true level of absurdity mixed with horror, uh, but what he thought was that he had all these different physical ailments. Like, So, again, he started out pretty normal, just in a normal household. Um, his mother seemed to be a bit off kilter. His dad seemed to be a little bit reserved, but it was a, it was a reasonable home life. But the schizophrenia, it's just a creeping thing. And once it starts... It's, it's not going away, unfortunately, and you need to be medicated um, just for your own well-being. You know, there's going to be some side effects. You, you, you might feel tired more often, but at least you'll be able to think straight. Um, like, I get it on a certain level why someone in general would not want to take medication. I, I think it's almost like a natural human thing to try to, if you're not trying to self-medicate constantly, I think you're trying to, on some level, be as like, clean if you and clear-headed as possible but schizophrenia you just need your medication and um at a certain point he was on medication um and it was working well but he would always get off and it, so intermittently when he's on and off his medication before things get violent when he's in his early 20s um he has all these fantasies about or uh, delusions rather about physical ailments. Like he thinks that his stomach is turning upside down. He thinks um, that there are different things wrong with his heart. He thinks that he's shedding skull bones that they're coming out of his head um, and that he's losing them. And so one of the things, one of my favorite bits of this story is he becomes convinced and family members attest to this, that he becomes convinced that in order to keep his skull bones in, he has to, um, peel an orange, take, take orange peels, wrap them around his head, and then wrap a towel around his head because the vitamin C is going to absorb through his skin into his skull and keep his bones strong. So that was a fairly common thing that he would do around the house. He would also wake up in the middle of the night um, and loudly make food that he oftentimes wouldn't even eat. And he would just like smoke out the house. His parents definitely should have reined him in more as well. Um, <laughs> and they did not. So, and <laughs> he, uh, he also became convinced um, as an early teen that he was the literal reincarnation of Jesse James and liked to wear a cowboy hat around constantly. Um, again, a little too old for that. This kid's very weird. <laughs> um, 
And, 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 and so when he moves out on his own, he also starts taking a lot of LSD and cannabis as a recurring theme. And he just starts losing his mind. Uh, there's at one point where he boards up his wall inside an apartment with his roommates, or he boards up a door rather, um, and then smashes a hole through the wall for a new door to divert people who might be coming to attack him. And he also just starts walking around naked all the time. It doesn't matter if they have guests. And so his, his, uh, his roommates leave eventually because they, they can't kick him out. He won't leave. And that's when eventually he starts working a lot with blood. He starts becoming convinced that blood is going to cure all of his weird physical ailments. And so he starts um, adopting like cats and dogs and rabbits and drinking their blood. He starts blending them. He starts um, like washing his dishes and things in blood. He even takes rabbit blood and injects it into his own veins to try and cure himself of whatever. And he definitely had to go to the hospital. It's amazing that he didn't die from that, but he didn't. Unfortunately, he should have died. That would have been for the best. Um, and then, so he eventually he gets to the point where he just thinks that he needs to get human blood. Um, hence the vampire part. And so he starts walking around at night and checking doors. If the door, if the front door is locked, he doesn't check anything else. He says, I'm not meant to be here. And if the front door is unlocked, he says that that's a sign for him to come in. So he goes in and he just bashes people. He just, he just messes them up and kills them and um, um, ends up, you know, drinking blood. Um, I don't even need to go into a whole lot more detail than that. And he does that on several occasions. And this doesn't last all that long. I believe it's a few months or so because it's, this um, is kind of. Um, this stuff um, is wigging me out, bro. <laughs> this is the end um and so he ends up being captured eventually and um he starts telling the the cops that it was all a grand conspiracy here's another recurring theme um that nazi ufos that nazis had developed ufo technology that they had been working on um, and that they were actually using these ufos to beam radio signals to him to uh, to to try and kill him and to get him to kill other people and that he was all just trying to get away from the Nazis at this point. Um, and that, of course, uh, I, I, I believe he was also, believe it or not, found criminally sane. Because again, he knew what he was doing was wrong and he was trying to cover up the bodies. Now, all three of these men were. Now, you know, I don't go to UFO conferences, things like that. Yeah, right. Yeah, because I mean, are is everyone at a UFO conference this bad? No, um, a lot of them are chill, but there are degrees of hysteria like this at UFO conferences. Dude, yeah. I, I'm telling you, I I went to a couple, and people would come up to me and tell me stories that I'm just like, what? You know, like that make it's like kind of like that mouse and hamster story thing, right? Right. And yeah. They, and they yeah. would and they would always say, well, you know. I know I sound crazy or whatever, but I swear, right? And just because they say that, they're not, you can't call them crazy. You know, and I remember my buddy, Dave Cruz at the time, he was lo looking at me. He's like, what, what's wrong with you, man? Or, what, you you got to be happy and smile. And I'd, I'm trying to tell him, I'm like, there's some people here that are wigging me out, to be honest with you. You know? Yeah. Yeah. No, there's, yeah, there's all sorts of different people out there. I'm, I'm going to read you one last bit. On that note of those people, this one is 
we're on the down ramp here. This is um, some we're bizarre on the down humor. ramp. Okay. Yeah, this is some bizarre humor about the Nazis and UFOs, um, or some bizarre takes that are so weird that they're humorous. Um, so, for fans of true crime, Robert Ressler, the the guy who developed the FBI serial killer profiling, or one of the guys, and they made the what's that Netflix show? Everybody knows what I'm talking about. Um, it was, it was pretty good. I watched the first season. Um, so uh, this guy, wrestler, interviewed Chase. Um, and um, and that, that was when he really expounded more upon his fears of Nazis and UFOs, uh, quote, claiming that although he killed, it was not his fault. He had been forced to kill, keep himself alive, which he believed any person would do. He asked wrestler to give him access to a radar gun with which he could apprehend the Nazi UFOs so that the Nazis could stand trial for their murders. He also handed wrestler a large amount of macaroni and cheese, which he had been hoarding in his pants pockets, like a, like Napoleon Dynamite with his tater tots, um, believing that the prison officials were in league with the Nazis and attempting to kill him. Um, so on December of 1980, a guard doing cell checks found Chase lying awkwardly on his bed, not breathing, and that was the end of that. But yeah, that's how uh, extremely insane Richard Chase was. And those are the three strangest um, true crime stories I've ever heard in my life, I think. Yeah. Uh, this stuff is getting weird, bro. <laughs> like, what to start to creep you out at the, uh, to start to make you feel uncomfortable. Well, I mean, it's just not my thing. Like I don't, I don't like when I start getting into this stuff, I just, I'm, I know there's people that are into this stuff. Right. But when, when I hear this stuff, my mind is like, I just want away from it, right? I, and, I, and I just want someone to die. You know, like, I, I start thinking about, like, who they're going to hurt. You see what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it's like, I get in this weird protective mode in my head. And I'm thinking, like, why is this person walking the earth to begin with? Why are we locking them up? This guy's, like, drinking people's blood and stuff, you know? I don't know if he got sentenced or he, he ended up dead or whatever, right? Like, why do we waste our time on these people? Right. Why do we study evil so much? And my thing is, is like, why can't we just identify it and be like, yeah, that's good. And I know I sound like an old popper or something. Right. But no, man, it's this is this is good to get into. How do you think that these people got into what they're doing? Right. Like, that's the question. Is that some point were they human? Right. Did they have compassion and empathy or something like that? And then something just happened to them or they don't you know schizophrenia is uh not a i mean that's a real disease right that's that's Mm -hmm. like a real thing when someone gets diagnosed with schizophrenia they should be treated and looked looked after and watched you know watched and stuff like that it's just this is just really weird to me dude how Number one, there could be such psychotic and evil people on the planet to begin with. And two, how even if, let's say they're not, and they're schizophrenic or they're just literally crazy, how they have so much room to do whatever the hell they want to do to people, you know, when people know they're crazy. And this is my thing. Like, if you run into somebody in life and they start acting or talking like this or being this way, like, a part of you has to take, I think as humans, we got to take a little bit of responsibility and say, like, is this person crazy? You know what I mean? Like, is there something up with this person? I don't, I don't know, dude. 
it just wigs me out, to be honest with you. Like, it really does. Well, see, this is why stories like these are ultimately important to bring up. Now, they were super outlandish. And um, I, like I said, I do enjoy a certain level of making fun of these individuals by telling the craziest bits of their um their like their build up but um in it, the real brass tacks of it all is familiarizing yourself on some level with stories like these so that we can understand the difference like i was saying at the beginning of the episode this is the the collective consciousness reeling from um a flux of data of true crime data more than we've ever had. And, and humanity is sort of just kind of stripped bare before us. And we see now more than ever, the utter horror of what humans are capable of. Again, not on the global scale because people with, uh, with the world wars, I think more than ever were able to wrap their heads around uh, mass suffering like that, but people still haven't fully wrapped their heads around collectively on individual evil and how how prevalent it is now the majority yeah. of people are good and i think i have a positive outlook on humanity as a whole but there are too many people that are sick and twisted like this to disregard and oh, yeah for sure it look bro anytime I, I get around people and people start when they're you can tell when people are really self-involved that should be like red flag number one most people are self-involved right but i'm not i'm talking about on a really high level right and then that lack of empathy thing when they you could be talking about i don't know just as soon as you identify someone has a lack of compassion and empathy for others and they're super self self-involved i've i don't just associate myself with those people, but maybe that's the problem. You know, maybe, maybe that's part of the problem. Maybe that's why they feel isolated because they're already crazy to begin with. And as soon as they start acting weird, people just are like, whatever, dude, you know, <laughs> and it makes them crazier and crazier probably. But I don't know, man, vampires and drinking people's blood. And there's a lot of fascination with that though. Nowadays, you know that's true that whole vampire culture man especially in uh new orleans is like vampire capital at least of america um and you know what too that's that's a whole different thing um i that seems crazy to me um i guess as long as there's consenting adults involved do your thing uh but uh you know at least they're not murdering people um, I know a girl one time told me she wanted vampire teeth that she knew these people that would like shave their teeth to have vampire teeth. And it was I've like a whole yeah. cult thing or whatever. And I thought like, why? See, this is something I don't understand, dude. Like, I don't understand why people are so fascinated with the dark shit. Like as a society in general, I mean, I could change my podcast to and call it anything that has to relate to conspiracy or evil or whatever. And I'd probably get 3000 more downloads just like immediately. Right. So for us to point our fingers at these people and say, man, you're crazy. Look at what they're doing. Right. Is cool. But on the other hand, I mean, we as humans, like we feed into this stuff too, you know, like we give it more energy. If yeah. that makes sense to you, you know, 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no. And this is why it's all worth bringing up because there's something, there's something going on here on a collective level. This isn't the first time that we've had a true crime wave. People historically are fascinated with true crime, but it goes in and out. And um, I think a lot of times there's either sensationalism or there's just really uh, just boiled, stripped down uh, news coverage. And there's not a whole lot of philosophizing that goes on. And I don't think any one person is going to get anything right, but I think it's worth it to just mull these kinds of things over and contribute to the conversation. Joe, in the long run, um, I think for any takeaways, I'd want to hear your opinion on this uh, because this is sort of an age-old question and this is something that we've tossed around in other episodes. How do you know the difference between, let's say, you know, like before, at some point, before those three individuals went off the deep end, they had to be asking themselves, and we know at least Herbert Mullen was, um, is this a little crazy? And then they just continued. And so in varying degrees, people aren't going to go on murderous sprees, but in terms of pitfalls, things they might be susceptible to, addictions, vices, uh, maybe self-delusions, uh, when people are trying to understand themselves and go on this esoteric you know, hero's journey, if you will, how do you tell the difference between something that's going to lead you astray and something that's going to keep you on the path? I, I mean, that's a really good question. and I, I ask myself those questions. Number one, like, are you asking yourself that question? Right. Right. Like, are you paying attention to that all the time? Are you asking yourself? And secondly, like, if it doesn't have to do, see, the way I look at magic and all this other stuff esoterically, it's not about individual power. It's not about being higher, more involved, better, or more knowledgeable or anything. Uh, it's like, it's all about co-creation, love, and coming into your higher self, right? Like co-creation, love, and coming into your higher self. This stuff should make you more of a compassionate person, yes. not the other way around. This stuff should make you more loving, more open, more wanting to share what you've learned, more natural actually it's natural like if you really look into transcendental magic and things like that the things that they're discussing are st it's basically studying love and nature and how things manifest that's what it is right so because there's pentacles and pentagrams and all this other stuff and there's a dark side which there's a dark side to everything mm -hmm. there's obviously a fascination to this so what we have to ask ourselves before we go into this place of like invoking demons so we can defeat the demons inside us or whatever i think you should ask yourself every time you do something what's called you claim that is spiritual is like why are you doing it what are the real reasons you're doing it and be honest with yourself i mean that's it dude like what's the real reasons why are you doing it because you want to you want more power over your life because you feel powerless like because that's usually how it starts. Most people, to be honest, that get into the occult and the, like, as far as the magic is concerned, you usually have reached some type of miserable point in their life. You don't see too many happy people that are happy with just everything in their life and ecstatic jump right into the occult. It, it doesn't happen. 
is people go there because they feel like they've lost something. You know, it, it's either that or the which, which is it is in the majority cases, or you get like the rock stars or the ultra right, yeah. that have just seen like every they have limitless power in the material world. So they're like, well, I might as well try to get limitless metaphysical power, and it's literally as simple and dumb as that. Yeah, and this is why, like, when you look at the order that I was in, like the Golden Dawn, the, the book is like this thick, man. And then you're, you, you start doing the rituals and you start doing the meditations and the focus work and everything. And it's quite boring. You're <laughs> like, what am, you know, it's, it's, what am I going to get out of this? This is boring. And it's, it's not about that. It's not about what you're going to get out of it, right? It's, it's about coming in contact with your higher self and balancing. Like when I went to this event, I told people, I said, look, I was a dysfunctional person when I got into this. I'm not going to lie to you. You know, I tried uh, therapist, therapy, I, school, life, parents, every system taught me how to live a certain way or be a certain way, but I couldn't be me and do that. And when I found magic, which but when I say that's transcendental magic, basically, right? Mm -hmm. When I found that I could be me. So magic has only given me a permission to be a higher version of myself and make me understand love more and help me balance out my life. That's the only real power that it's going to give you and understanding this kind of like how things kind of manifest under the law of attraction. At, that's about it, right? It's all hermeticism. Like these people that are getting into these dark things, if you're doing it to, you're like, man, I'm, man, I'm going to try to invoke a demon or I want to, you know, I mean, we've all dabbled with something. I'm not going to like pass judgment here. But the real question is, is when you're doing spirituality from any point of view, mysticism, Buddhism, Christianity, whatever, like, I, I still think you should ask why. Like, why are you doing it? Be honest with yourself, man. If you can be honest with yourself and say, I don't know, I know who I am. I don't know why I'm here. I don't know what this is about and I don't feel very loved or I need to find more love in my life or whatever. That's where you start. You know, this, this stuff gets really like left brained where they, they, everybody's trying to like the guy with the hamsters. And even if it's crazy, it's like his mind's trying to find formulas for the secrets of life. And when it comes to hamsters, brains and shit, like what does that have to do with your damn heart, man? What does that have to do with your happiness or anybody else's happiness? You know, so it's to me, it's, I think you got to just constantly ask yourself those questions, you know? Absolutely. Um, yeah, very poignant stuff. And um, on the heels of that, I want to ask you uh, one last question before we start to wrap this up a little more. What, what would you say to anybody? Here's your stand to just kind of, pick your own brain a little bit. What do you think about this fascination with true crime that a lot of people have? And how do you think, um, you know, are the, what are the ways to make it so that it's at least productive? And what are some of the pitfalls? Because I'll tell you, I watched um, some of the, I finished actually the, this three part, um, the Gacy tapes on Netflix recently. I watched that too, man. And I'll, it doesn't seem like they're kind of glorifying Gacy, but they keep saying they're not right. Like they're not doing that. 
but yeah, go ahead, dude. That was a messed up thing. Yeah, um, it, it is weird. Um, but I will say at the end, uh, the, the final bit, they went into with a, a pretty large section of the last uh, episode uh, just about the victims. And man, when they, they went through every single one of his victims um, for with a long pause and a picture, and um, they you know didn't pull any punches. They left the picture there for a while. And after seeing so many people and after hearing so many people talk about him, it's like, man, you don't see that enough in true crime. And that, I, I teared up a little bit, man. Like, and, and, and I think if you don't feel something for the victims, if you just see them as characters in a story and that's it, then I think that that is where you need to take a step back because that's the very, Absolutely, be- yeah. that's the very beginning, but it's the very beginning of the end. You know, like you still have a lot to go before uh, you have a deep tumble, but like, that's a really major step in a majorly wrong direction. Um, so well, I, what would you say to that, Joe? I mean, well, yeah, well, to your first question about that is like, I think we have a fascination with that because we don't, you know, I think the most part, the reason why people have a fascination with that is because at all the podcasts, I look on YouTube, but people have fascinations with murders and stuff. Most of these people are like really good people. And I'm talking about the hosts. They got big hearts. They're really good people. And they're brainiacs too. But this is the kind of unknown that their psychological makeup is afraid of, you see, which mm-hmm. we all should be afraid of. it. And, in, and if you listen to some of them, they talk about it so much. They're wondering, like, why aren't you worried about this? Right. Like, why don't you see the craziness in this? When some people don't even like me, don't even look at it. And the point is, is because I, I think it's a good thing that people are looking into it. But the fascination with it, I think, has to do with we're afraid of the unknown, period. Whether it's like good or bad, you know, there's no way to know if you're a decent person why anybody would do something like the way these people are doing. It is an unknown thing, you know, and they're, and they're like, yeah, okay, maybe they're schizophrenic or, or whatever, but even schizophrenics, like, some of these people weren't you know? yeah and most schizophrenics don't do things like this so there's still an unknown for sure sure like it's a massive like it's an unknown and we get we get fascinated with that too but um i really think deep down we want to see number one is evil like real and if it is that to what extent does it go you know Damn, I think you hit the nail on the head right there. I think that if it's not uh, becoming a neurotic bad thing for you, I think uh, people obsessed with true crime are really obsessed with trying to pin down what evil is and if it exists. And there's an old esoteric creed. um, I believe it's Masonic, but not exclusively, um, where it's sort of a belief that um, evil doesn't exist um, outside of the evil and the devil is humankind. And it doesn't necessarily, if it exists, it emanates from the human being and nowhere else really. Um, right. Yeah. And it, it, well, dude, yes, man. Like I did my own occult experiments with that as an occultist. So every now and then you'll dabble with something stupid, right? Yeah. So, get into any detail you'd like to. 
So I read uh, Gordon White's book, The Chaos Magic Protocols. Mm -hmm. And this was before I decided, yeah, I'm really going to like do like the Golden Dawn white style of magic. I wasn't even caring about black or white. What I cared about was what's real and what's not. Right. Yeah. So my experimentation, I think we all do this to some level with the evil in our life is, uh, is it real? Right. So my experimentation was, okay, well, let's do this devil invocation. Some people play with Ouija boards. Some people talk to the demons or whatever. Like I, I said, to hell with it. Let's do this crossroads invocation that everybody's afraid of. I have a weird thing about that too. There's something wrong with my psyche. I think like the more afraid of it, I am, the more I want to do it. Right. Yeah. Um, I feel you. But I thought I'm not going to know if I don't, you know. So basically you do an invocation. You say all the names of like, like Lucifer, Satan, whatever. And then you go out to the woods or you go anywhere. As long as you find a crossroads, that symbol of the crossroads, it could be the cross streets, cross rivers, whatever. That's what it says in the book. And you go out there at a certain time and you just keep going out and keep going out. Well, about the third night. He was right in the book. He says the, the manifestation of the spirit or whatever it is, you will know without a doubt that it's there. And I knew without a doubt that it was there. I didn't see it. I could hear like the stuff I heard. I couldn't tell if it was w wood noise too. So that was all, you know, cause I get real, I get real scientific at that point. Right. And it was just like feeling that fear I did when I was a kid, when I had nightmares, but it was at a really high level, you know? And I thought, oh, all right, well, is that what the devil is? Is it just fear? Because in my mind, I thought it was, you know, evil, like some of what these bastards do or whatever, you know. And the, the, the ritual goes on to say, you know, you make your offerings if you want to ask for a favor. It's not like you kill a kid or, or kill goats or anything like that. You put like tobacco there or alcohol, right. and that's what your offerings are, you know. But I just basically told the spirit i'm like look i'm just here to see if you're real and now that i know you are my bad right <laughs> like, i was like my bad right but it was also there's also a part of me it's like well i didn't see it i didn't hear it i'm wondering if someone else would have walked up and came around like would they have saw it it's just just a part of my consciousness do these names and all these other things activate an adversarial fear energy inside me which gets projected into the earth, right? And if you look at a lot of the occult studies about how things are projected into the earth, well, you know, but does it make them not real or real? See, I, I do have a little fascination with that, but, but you have I to think, keep it very disciplined and tender. Yeah, like I and didn't want to do in mind. Right. I didn't want to mess with it anymore. Like I just wanted to know if it was real. And it's still to this day, I base my work around the understanding that fear is the adversary. You know, if we call fear a lot of different names, you know, but that's what it is, right? You know, it's temptation and fear, right? So even if you go back to scripture, when the devil tempted Jesus, he was like, you know, if you'll worship me, I'll give you this land or, you know, I'll make you a ruler of this or whatever. And it's just a temptation to submit to fear or to submit to the idea that you don't have power over your own life. And that you're not divine to begin with, that you're something lower. And that's what makes us afraid, too, I think, you know. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because 
uh, stories like the temptations of Christ and uh, the Buddha's enlightenment underneath the Bodhi, uh, these are this, the core of the positive takeaway of, um, yeah. of something like true crime is on some level, in order to reach a deeper understanding of yourself and the world around you, you have to confront these things. Um, but there's a time and a place you know, it can't be a yeah. constant thing. It's a, no, it's no, a very no. sacred, personal thing that you confront and, you know, ultimately seek to transcend. But this is the quote I found. This is from Anne Shulgin, who was um, a student of Jung. Um, and it says, the Jungians accept the monster. We look through its eyes. Inside uh, the demon, one lacks fear. Then one recognizes that as one survivor aspect. So it's a, it's a tempered thing. It's a disciplined thing. It's like, yeah. again, one of the positive things um, that Jordan Peterson says, it's, it, I mean, the, he, he's just a student of Jung that, uh, that gets wacky sometimes. But I mean, he says the same thing where there's, a, there's a, an aspect of a monster inside of us all, regardless of whether or not you're a good person. Um, and like, we need to all understand that there's a kernel of potential for something like an Auschwitz concentration camp guard inside of us all. And that there is an inherent existential responsibility for us to uh, pull those weeds, snuff those seeds and grow the, the fertile soil of the garden of our psyche, you know, to, to, to get it alchemical. And um, if we don't go about the active process of that, of fostering the the positive and the beneficial in our life, then just like weeds in the real world, um, they're going to grow quicker and stronger and faster, and they're going to exactly. crowd out all the positive. Exactly, um, dude. Yeah, that's really good. That's really good what you said there. Like, you know, it's <laughs> keeping a positive state of mind is hard enough, but it's something that you should try to do for your own healthy benefit, right? Yeah, but also like, and it's hard to do that to begin with. So imagine like spirituality is going to be even harder because now it's not just about you; it's about oneness and love and like all kinds of different things and growth and things like that. So it takes discipline, right? You, what I would say is, if you're getting into the occult for personal power, I would say that I understand why you feel powerless. But maybe you need to change your ideas about what power really is, you know? Hell yeah. You know what I mean? Like, power is not being above anybody else. It's actually the opposite, you know? Yeah, self-empowerment. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I think that's... Um I'm glad we went there, Joe. Um, I didn't want to make you feel uncomfortable or anything, but I think it made some really powerful oh, conversation because I totally did. I'm yeah. glad you made me feel uncomfortable. Cool, cool. Um, yeah, excellent. Because, yeah, I think we, well, you know, we're not going to solve all the answers or all the questions and have all the answers, nor are we even trying to. But I think that's some good food for thought there because there is really is a fine line that we're all walking when it comes to knowledge and entertainment and what is healthy and what's neurotic and true crime is a big uh linchpin in that conversation it's definitely fringe that's for sure <laughs> yeah yeah and and i'm always fascinated to 
uh, bring the the topics of conversation of mysticism and true crime uh, whenever I can, because I do think that there is a little bit of overlap. And I think we touched on that pretty well, too. Um, for, for the listeners out there, I actually we are actually planning on getting into uh, more magical philosophy. And we're going to talk about Joe's time in the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn, which is where um, Aleister Crowley spent some time and, uh, you know, a lot of eminent hermetic magicians throughout the uh, the 20th century. Uh, like the Golden Dawn was influential to um, the Western understanding of esotericism. As oh, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, man. Um, yeah, so that would, Joe, we're going to have you back on soon to get into that. But I, I guess that the conversation we had was just, was just boiling beneath the surface because I was trying to lead up into the Golden Dawn and, and, uh, and it kept going in this, this dark esoteric direction. And I'm, I'm glad we followed it because that, uh, that was some interesting stuff there. And, you know, again, seriously, rest in peace to the victims and, you know, respect due to um, any of the, the family members. Um, if there's any humor that came out of this episode, it's because these people are so far gone. Um, I'm always going to laugh at the orange slices, the sealing up <laughs> Richard Chase's skull. What, a, what an asshole. Well, I think, you know, like this, when I hear about stuff like that, I used to cry abuse because my dad used to slap the shit out of me like, and be like, what are you thinking? Are you stupid? Right. Mm -hmm. But I'm wondering if sometimes that wasn't a little necessary. <laughs> you know, like, like <laughs> I just don't feel. Mm -hmm. I don't feel like some of these people have been like woke up in that sense. Maybe who knows? I don't know. You know. Yeah. Well, in, in any case, hopefully your parents aren't smacking kids around. But discipline. No, that's psychotic too. <laughs> yeah, and and there's probably a time and a place for a spanking. Uh, I'm not a parent, but I don't uh dislike my parents for having spanked me and i don't know you got to draw a line with kids and i do think like joseph callinger as a very quick cherry on top that was iron will his parents treated him like an apprentice shoemaker and then richard chase his parents seemed to kind of let him do whatever he wanted so again just another reminder that it's the middle path you know yeah you need to work with your children you need to work with people in general and don't let them walk all over you but don't walk all over them you got to live with people we're all just trying to make it around here so keep an eye out for the crazy people and um yeah take care of your loved ones um enjoy enjoy the simple things in life i mean because you it's important to ground yourself after um heady especially dark conversations like this um and I hope someone got something out of it. Um, thanks a lot for joining me, Joe. I look forward to our next conversation, buddy. Yeah, man. Anytime. Um, listeners, go check out FringeFM.com, uh, Lighting the Void with Joe Roop. Um, don't forget you're listening to Black Hoodie Alchemy. Um, check us out next week. We'll see what we got going on. Thanks so much for listening. You take care out there. Peace. Yo, we bridging gaps.
spitting raps, how we living, that's truth. And yo, lies only spread division. Prison threats like off mic and quite dope, the literal. I look around, these clowns are biting yanks and it's pitiful. So what's the prob? Kids in my city fronting guard them up around and find out that half of them ain't got jobs. That's why I'm laughing. Buddy rap slaps, get the dap, cause we stand still and we some funk bringers like mandrills. So check it and let it sit and stew on recollection. Moving to this resurrection, smoother than my newest record when it's born. I forewarn destruction like corn, my word is born. We crushing the mics within our palm reach, just flexing. Bending ciphers out dimension, style ascension, descendants of heaven sent henchmen. I'm putting you in detention, and if I mention my crew, respect isn't due, it's earned and our retentions are proof, kid. And now, if you don't think that I'm shot first, and chances are you won't understand the liberator verse, huh? And now, if you don't like Ricardo Kurt, then chances are you won't understand how liberators work, kid. And now, if you don't think that Han shot first, then chances are you won't understand the liberator verse, huh? And now, if you don't like Ricardo Kurt, then chances are you won't understand how liberators work, kid. <laughs> With the quickness, like in seconds, so go get a bend intestines. It seems like a rapper won't spit without his necklace. Them celly bars, the jelly hard, you fit the fake and checklist. Not my preference. I've yearned the essence, learned the lessons I've conferred with press, and he do prefer when I stay in time. But who be the doctor for split scenes? A moment's blowing lotus fours. It's that side of paradise I'm hoping for. Hey! <laughs> Work, huh?